All right. Good morning and happy Easter Collective Church. It is so exciting to be here on what is the big day of Christianity. I have been so excited to get here and, and be a part of Collective to celebrate this day. And here we are spread across west side of Los Angeles, all surrounding our little soft digital devices and their warm or cold glow, depending on what you're holding. And I'm here somehow expected to preach this good news of Christianity sitting down. I'm going to do my best, but uh, we'll see how this goes. If you are new to Collective, my name is uh, Ryan. As Pastor Lorenzo mentioned, I'm the teaching pastor here. And so uh, part of my job is I get to just freak out about how good Jesus is and how incredible the scriptures are and what they all mean for us today. And so I'm doing that again here on Easter. And so we are here. I am I got a collared shirt on. You know, normally it might be a tie or a suit if we were really there. Most of you are in your pajamas most likely, and that's totally okay. I'd be doing the same thing if I wasn't, you know, in front of the camera. But uh, normally we've got maybe Easter eggs that you're doing. We've got the pastel colors out. There's an Easter bunny that no one knows who invited him to Easter, and yet he's here. I don't know what the eggs have to do with the resurrection of Jesus, but somehow it all comes together. The big thing is, like I said, this is the big day for Christianity. There are a couple billion of us right now around planet Earth that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a day of celebration, of joy and singing and smiling, because for us, Today makes or breaks our entire thing, the entire faith system, the entire religion, whatever word you want to use for it. If Easter is not true, it all falls apart. See, this is where Christianity is different than any other faith system. You think Buddha is dead. You can visit his grave. Uh, Muslim, you can uh, go and visit uh, the prophet Muhammad, you can go to the Green Dome and visit uh, his grave. Confucius, Krishna, L. Ron Hubbard, his ashes were spread over the Pacific. But, you know, the whole system of most religions in the world, in fact, all are predicated on their founder being dead and that being okay. That this faith system, their revelation of the world still works, even though they may be gone. Christianity does not hold that view. You see, Christianity is built on a historical bodily resurrection of Jesus over the dead. And so the good news of Christianity is not that Jesus died for me or for you. There's no good news there. We'd just be worshiping a dead man. The sole basis of the Christian hope is not just what happened on Friday, but the good news of what happened on Sunday. You see, without Easter Christianity, our faith is futile and empty. We are lying about God and this world if he even exists. Without Easter, faith is useless. Everybody is still trapped in their destructive, unshakable patterns. And the reality is everyone dead is gone forever. And Christians are the greatest fools in human history. Without Easter, the world truly is a cold, dark place, and we are bound to lives under those indifferent stars above. And this is not just me. This is the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, either Jesus got up on Sunday 2,000 years ago and walked out of that tomb, or we are all fools. He is no good to you or me dead. 
I hear people regularly from both those that identify as a Christian and those who don't that say that even if Jesus died, you know, I get to the end of my life and I just goes to black and that, that would be okay. Or, or friends of mine who don't identify as a Christian that want to be able to accept Jesus as maybe a, a good teacher, a wise man or a prophet to both of those Easter says no. The claims of Jesus are far too big to allow him to get off the hook of just being a teacher. He didn't claim to just be a teacher, to let him uh, get off the hook with maybe he taught me to live a good life, even though resurrect. the claims he made were just too big. Either Jesus was a lunatic and his death on Friday was the end of a mentally ill cult leader. Either he was a liar and he has led the greatest con in human history or Easter is true and Jesus is Lord. Today, we're going to be looking at just one of the claims that Jesus can't get off the hook unless Easter is true. It comes from John chapter 16, verse 33. One verse today. That's my Easter present to you is we're going to look at one verse and it's going to, we're going to go short and big. And I'm hoping to encourage you Christians. And I'm hoping to invite those of you that are investigating Jesus for the first time to lean in a little bit closer at the good news of the resurrection. This is part of our Sunday series that we started a few weeks ago. We've been going through and will continue to out of here, where as we've kind of been gathering behind our screens and in our homes on Sundays, we've been looking at these take heart sayings of Jesus, these moments when Jesus comes to people who are scared, afraid, isolated from people. Jesus tells them to take heart. And we've been finding how his words ring true for us here 2,000 years later. And so we're looking at one more example of Jesus saying, take heart, that uh, as we decided and picked this one, that it comes just the night before his crucifixion. See, on the night of his crucifixion, the Last Supper, you might have seen the uh, the picture, um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, his painting uh, reworked into a meme where it's a Zoom call now. Jesus is by himself at the table and all the disciples uh, are, are you know coming in from their devices. But in reality, Jesus is gathered there with his disciples and they're eating a feast. And, and while they're celebrating Passover, Jesus is aware of what's coming in a matter of hours, his betrayal by Judas, his arrest by the Roman centurion and guard, and his trial before Pilate and the religious leaders, ultimately his crucifixion and death. And so in John uh, 14, 15, 16, he is giving his final words to his disciples, his final push. And, and he ends his final buildup, his climactic end of his goodbye speech is this, John 16, verse 33, where Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This bold claim of having peace in me of tribulation in the world, but that he has overcome the world. These are the sorts of claims that Jesus made that we cannot let him off the hook with, that Easter either proves or if it's not true, then none of it can be. But the bold claim of Easter is that peace is possible, that suffering isn't strange in this world, but that victory is won. Three things we're going to look at, but why don't we begin by praying? And so, Father, I am—I uh, I feel like a um, a barrel of monkeys and springs and and uh, gunpowder all wedged in to a, a small 
a little canister. And uh, I am just, I'm overwhelmed at the task of communicating the profound beauty and historical reality of the resurrection of your son. For those of us that have found the resurrection to be true, may we not only look back as it true in history, but true now in the present. For my friends that are joining in and uh, haven't been to Collective before, maybe they've been attending for a while, but they've been investigating Christianity, may today the reality of the resurrection invite them in new ways to consider what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. Would you speak through these words? Would you help me to say what needs to be said? In spirit, would your peace and goodness and truth go deeper than anything I could say? We look to you. We cannot wait to see what the resurrection means for us, not just today, but in the age to come. Speak now, Lord. Let me pray. Amen. So the first thing that Easter means is that peace is possible. Peace is possible. If you look back and just remember what we just read a moment ago, Jesus says at the beginning of verse 33, I've said these things that in me, you may have peace. You may have peace. Easter means that peace, contentment, joy, calm, rest, harmony is possible. It is the good news that you and I desire to hear at our deepest levels. And yet most of us have resigned from being a reality. See, for many of us, our experience of peace moves through varying stages throughout our life. You know, we begin in our childhood with a period of peace, this age of childhood that usually comes and often goes quite quickly as we come to terms with our reality, our life here on planet Earth. Some suffering comes, some abuse, some neglect, something happens, and we realize that the world is not a always peaceful, spontaneously calm and content and joyful place, but that there is suffering in this world. But simultaneously, what ends up happening is these stories of happily ever after capture our imagination, of princesses being married, of heroes being victorious. They capture our perspective that maybe peace is possible. It happens in the stories of Anna and Elsa and Captain America and Iron Man. We, we cannot get enough of stories of those who overcome and they find peace. And so the way these varying stages of peace work out in our world is first we believe that peace is hidden. Peace is hidden, that, that maybe it's possible, but it's hidden. And so what that means is you and I, we have to go out and find peace. We have to fight for it. Or, or save up the money, work hard enough, and then buy it. Peace will come whenever we get out there and find where it is hidden. We run on that treadmill. This shows itself often in the Western culture as a journey of self-actualization. Like I said a moment ago with Elsa, as we, we go out into the unknown to discover our true self, to bring that person forward. And maybe it's not to figure out where we got our ice powers. This is, you can tell, I'm, <laughs> I'm the father of a three-year-old three girl. So we, everything's Elsa right now. So we'll, we'll put Elsa aside. We'll let her go. Uh, we we are, are convinced 
that peace is out there, but it is hidden. And so what, what we have to do is go out and find it. And so we chase after it in, in any, any myriad of ways that we feel like our heart leads us to. And so maybe that's the career path, or maybe that's the not being tied down to a career path. Maybe we will find peace when we have the house and the kids and the career. When the American dream comes together, we'll have that peace. Or maybe we'll have peace by completely rejecting the American dream at its source. Maybe we'll have peace when we get our guy or gal in office. What is it? We all have some compulsive desire to find peace, but at the end of the day, it's hidden, and so we have to seek for it. You know, in my own story, peace was there, but it was waiting for me. It was at the end. It was earned after I obtained some level of perfection. Being the, the perfect son or the perfect brother or the perfect youth group kid or the perfect student. And so I would go, go, go hard and try to earn that peace where there was harmony between me and myself and the world and my tasks. And I would keep going. And, and that just evolved into being the perfect husband, the perfect father. And it even continues now as a pastor. I, I a, a deep yearning desire to be the perfect pastor, some kind of belief that peace will find me there. See, all of us have some little narrative that's running in our lives that peace is hidden and to find it, we must love everyone. Everyone's got to be taken care of and then there'll be peace. Every task needs to be done. There needs to be every, every creative thing that can be brought out into the world that imagination becomes reality. It's the books and the information garnered so that we can be safe. It's the relationships forged where we have a community where we belong and peace is made. Peace will be there when our passports are filled, when the party's been gone to and the drinks have been drunk and the partners have been slept with. It comes when injustices have been dealt with and wrongs have been right, but all of it rests on our hands and it is exhausting. And so after a couple of decades, we end up coming to conclusion that peace is fake. The reality is that anybody offering peace is actually just trying to sell me something or trying to get me to work harder. You see, the quests for peace become a cul-de-sac and ultimately sometimes it, it varies for some people, for some earlier in their lives, for some most, it's a middle life crisis. For the saddest of us, it doesn't come until we're on our deathbed. That peace is actually just something that's advertised so that for the low, low price of $9.99 a month, you can have an underwear subscription. And the pictures that advertise to you are people that are peaceful and relaxed and in harmony. And so maybe it's that, or maybe it's the, the car, or maybe it's the house, maybe it's the relationship. And the thing is, at some point in our life, we realize that it's a cul-de-sac, it's a carrot on a stick. And then what this turns into, the final stage, from peace being hidden, peace being fake, moves to peace ultimately just being death. That all of life is actually suffering. That true peace only comes in death. True lasting peace only comes in death. And that most of life, what we call peace, is few and far between. We arrive at the conclusion that we'll never be able to experience peace fully. That peace is impossible. The good news of Easter, if it's true, is that peace is in fact possible. And that you and I, we've got the whole thing wrong. 
See, we heard that happily or peacefully ever after, and we thought that that story was about you and I going out into the world to find peace, to fight for it, to earn it, to claim it, to make it our own and have it forever. Easter declares that you and I are not the hero of the story. We are not the knight in shining armor. We are the princess locked in the high tower. We are quarantined away and kept busy on this treadmill as some dastardly, again, I just, I can't help but do the Disney princess stuff, right? We are Rapunzel trapped in the tower, hidden away with the long list of chores, quarantined away from the world. The story of how peace comes is not in us trying, but actually in realizing that all the while peace has been climbing up the tower to set us free. How so? How so? We'll go back to John 16, 33. You see, Jesus doesn't just say that you may have peace, but he makes this bold claim, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. What does Jesus mean by said these things? It's those 14, 15, 16, those chapters ahead of what we've just read. As a brief summary, it's worth reading this week. Jesus makes bold claims. Being one with the creator God, calling for his disciples to abide in him, that he is like this this, this vine and that all of his little people, his, his disciples, his followers are little branches coming off of him. See, these are claims that are just too bold. And even more than that, Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claims to be the way of peace. See, he turns on his head that peace is not hidden, but in fact, Jesus is the way that peace has come to find you. More than that, Jesus is the truth. He's the truth of peace, that peace isn't a lie. In fact, the only lie about peace that you and I have ever believed to begin with was that we were the ones that had to earn it. Similarly and finally, that life of peace that paradoxically came out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that peace is not hidden, it's not fake, and that it's not ultimately only found in death. It is ultimately found in death, in the death of Jesus. And so because of his death, we now have the way, the truth, and the life of peace that is given to us. You see, and this is where, again, like I said, Christianity differs so much from other religions. You see, like Buddha, his his dying words to his followers were, work hard to gain your salvation. Work hard, strive endlessly to obtain the peace that's before you. Jesus comes and says, actually, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that peace is working hard to come and find you. And so what this means is this all hinges on Easter. If the resurrection is not true, then peace, yes, ultimately is impossible. The only rest you will have is when you are dead and buried and your dirt nap will give you the rest and shed eye you've been longing for. If Easter is not true, then the claims of Jesus here just a few hours before he died are not the promise of goodness that our hearts have longed to hear for our whole life. They are the narcissistic claims and delusions of grandeur of a man that would die a few hours later. But if Easter happened, it's no surprise that what we repeatedly find on his lips on that first Easter morning. John chapter 20, just a few pages over, Jesus comes and he stands among his disciples and he says to them, peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the wounds from his cross, that it was truly him raised from the dead, that body that was on the cross days ago, now standing before them living. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord because they realized it was him. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. The resurrected Jesus says on Easter morning twice, peace be with you, peace be with you. Why? Because Easter means that peace is possible and that peace is with us because the resurrected Jesus is with us. So for those of you that are tuning in and are Christians, the the call of Easter is to live like Easter is true. You see, we so often turn and we believe that Easter isn't true, or at least we may say it's true, but we don't act like it's true when we continue to live our lives as though peace is hidden, as though peace is fake, as though peace is impossible. And so we strive when we run after all the silly things that hold out peace in front of us. And this is not coming against you. This was me this whole week. And you know what it was, was this teaching This talk was the thing bringing up so much anxiety and fear for me. Why? Because I believe that it was all on me, that peace for myself, it was was hidden away in the perfect teaching and peace for you was hidden away in me teaching it perfectly. And the reality is, is that the resurrection means that I can screw this whole thing up. And that has no bearings on the fact that peace is possible, not because of me, not because of you, but because the prince has climbed the tower and his name is Jesus and death has been conquered if Easter is true. And so friends that are here, you don't identify as a Christian and you're tuning in. Peace is possible. And even deeper than peace just being possible, peace is the person of Jesus. And he has run after you, not only died for you, but rose for you. But this dying for you brings us to the next thing that Easter tells us. It tells us that suffering isn't strange. Suffering isn't strange. Isn't it weird that Jesus says, in me, you may have peace, but then he goes on to say, in the world, you will have tribulation. This word tribulation is, it's the word for trouble and suffering. So wait a minute. I thought (laughs) Easter is, you know, happy day, pastel colors, little frogs and candies for the kids. I thought, you know, tinsel thrown out that you've got a vacuum for weeks and years later on. I thought it was a happy day. It's a happy day. But the reality is that it's happy in the midst of the fact that Easter takes life seriously. Takes life seriously. Ernest Becker, in his book, The Denial of Death, he wrote this while slowly dying from colon cancer, ultimately winning the Pulitzer Prize just two months after passing. He wrote in The Denial of Death, I think that taking life seriously means something like this. That whatever someone does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation, of the rumble of panic underneath everything, otherwise it's false. You see, to take life seriously is to live in the truth of the terror of creation, what Jesus calls the tribulation of the world. And the reality is that over the past few weeks and months, It has been forced in front of us. It has not been the rumble of panic beneath everything. It has been an earthquake that has split the earth in two. Pandemics and death have forced us to take life seriously. And so what this does in in our Western worldview, for most of us, all of us tuning in, is, is it brings up this feeling that suffering is strange to us. Suffering is abnormal. Suffering is puzzling. Why is that? Why is suffering feel so off to us in the Western culture? And why are many cultures better fitted for dealing with suffering? 
It's because of this. Andrew Sullivan for New York Magazine wrote uh, last year, he wrote this. Our modern world, our Western modern world tries extremely hard to protect us from experiencing existential moments. Netflix, air conditioning, sex apps, Alexa, Kale, Pilates, Spotify, Twitter, those things are all designed and given to us to create a world in which we rarely get a second to confront ultimate meaning. Until a tragedy occurs, a death happens, or a diagnosis strikes, or a pandemic wreaks havoc on our world. We are having a global existential crisis, and it is revealing the bankruptcy of Western culture's perspective of suffering. And so the thing is, we've become exhausted from trying to figure out an explanation for suffering. So we've turned from all of the different pathways that we had, where we thought that all suffering was deserved, that it was brought about by what people did. This shows itself in the the silliness of political airtime being wasted on who do we blame for this. It continues into not just being deserved, but in some cases even being destined, where certain people get on TV and want to talk about how the, the coronavirus is God punishing the world for this or for that. There are different pathways that all underlie and they ultimately lead to us being exhausted with all of the options because none of them meet our questions. And so what we do is we just turn back to the protections that we have of Netflix and air conditioning and sex apps and kale and Pilates and whatever it might be or Instagram or what we lock ourselves in our homes with our little protections to keep us from the existential crisis. But for many of us, Those protections run empty, and so we, terrified, begin looking for peace. And just like we saw a moment ago, all the peace the world can offer is something that is hidden, it is fake, it is impossible. And so it is no wonder that we have seen a global search, a global surge in Google search for prayer doubling with every 80,000 infection cases. It is no wonder that we've seen skyrocketing up 60%, which uh, what was already the most sold book of the Bible, up another 60% on top of already being the bestseller that they don't even include in any of the booksellers anymore because it's always there. You see, we've been turning back to the Bible. It's what has brought Christians here on Easter is once again, this story, this book and the Jesus that it brings to us from history is our hope. And it is what you are likely looking for if you joined us today. So what is the story of the Bible and what is its answering for the strangeness of suffering? Well, the story of the Bible simply puts that suffering isn't strange. Because it's actually the world itself that is strange, that is abnormal, that is shifted and twisted from how it was meant to be. And all of this comes back to in those opening pages of the Bible that there is one who Jesus refers to as the ruler of the world. Whether it's the word and language of the serpent or the Satan or the devil, the simple reality is, and, and you might you know, might get flack for, I, mean, I might get flack. You might think I'm crazy for believing that there. The, the, the simple thing is, is that humanity has had six thousand years of human history of civilization as we know it, more or less. And we have not been able to solve things like racism and things like tsunamis and tornadoes and things like viruses. We have been able to slow them at best. 
Vaccines may be able to eradicate for a time, but then they evolve and they become COVID-19 and they wreak havoc. There is something in the system of not only our world and of nature, but of humanity itself that is quite literally hell-bent on chaos and destruction. And so for the Bible, the suffering in this world is not strange because there is a abnormal one at work in the world. And so this ruler of the world is a king of this kingdom of darkness that is dragging us into its rebellion, hanging and dangling this carrot on a stick of peace that we chase over and spend our lives going after, but only bringing death on ourselves and one another. At work in human hearts with hatred and racism of gossip and bitterness and abuse and neglect and loneliness, at work in not just human individual hearts, but human empires that oppress and murder and breed injustice in the world as it pushes some down and raises up others at their expense. At work in nature, like I said, with cancer and famine and pandemics and death, we are enslaved citizens of this strange kingdom that Jesus refers to as the world. But the reality is, is that God so loved the world. God so loved you and me. He saw the situation that we are in. Because the reality is, is that not only are we enslaved to the world, but we are partakers in its work, like child soldiers of Joseph Coney or in, uh, or in, in, in throughout Africa. We have a problem within our hearts that we are like the, the cubs of the caliphate. We are like the ISIS child soldiers that we are simultaneously enslaved to evil, taken as children and brainwashed into violence. And, and we need to be freed from that oppression. At the same time, there are deeds that we have done that need justice, that we need salvation from, that we need to be washed from. We need to be rehabilitated from. And so the entire story of the Bible is that God's kingdom has a restoration plan. As John 3.16 puts it, For God so loved the world that he called out Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and through Moses and Israel and David was beginning to restore a broken world. And through the prophets, the whispers spread in the midst of the suffering. The true king is coming back. At what we celebrate in Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the King, the Prince of Peace had come, that in his ministry and work and his healings, the arrival of this kingdom was at hand, as he put it. In each healing, the, the reign and rule of darkness and sickness was being pushed back. In his preaching of the goodness of the kingdom and love and self-sacrifice, the borders of selfishness was being taken away. And ultimately on Good Friday, what we just observed two days ago, we remember that this king came and to deal with the darkness of this world, he dove headlong into that terror of creation, the, the tribulation of the world, the rumble of panic underneath anything and everything when he was put to death on his cross. On Good Friday, Jesus suffered not only with us, he knows what it's like to be abused and beat down by this world and by others, but he also suffered for us so that we might be forgiven of all that we've said and done and thought against others and against ourselves and against God and his world. 
He did all this so that we might never be alone in our suffering again, that when we are in our suffering, when we are scared of oncoming pandemics and loss of economic stability, the Good Friday means that we have a God who can say with us, I know, and I have felt it. And in the midst of the things, what the Bible calls sin that we've committed against others, that Jesus can say, I'll take that from you that we no longer have to be enslaved to these things. And on Easter Sunday, the good news of the resurrection is not only that Jesus was with us in our death, not only that he uh, promised that somehow his sin would be able to atone and cover for what we have done in this world, but that on Easter Sunday, the good thing, the final thing that Easter means is what Jesus ends in 1633 when he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Easter means that Jesus is the victorious and reigning and ruling and conquering king, that the ruler of this world has been usurped, that like some great judo master, that Good Friday and Easter together was God using evil against itself, that God took the death of Jesus to kill death, that God took all that was wrong within this world and he brought it back together again as he reversed Satan's evil plots as the greatest plot against Satan himself. Death was reversed, evil was conquered, and Jesus emerged victorious. You see, I have overcome the world is the delusional narcissistic claim if Easter was the not real and Good Friday was the end of the story. But because Easter is true, God has worked the greatest victory in history. And his resurrection means resurrection for us. It means resurrection of this world, that this world truly is not a cold, dark place. And those stars are not indifferent above, but that all of creation is groaning for the restoration of all things. And so in the midst of our suffering that Jesus says we can expect because he's called us to be a part of this world in the midst of its suffering so that we might bear witness to this new and arriving kingdom, to point people to this, to embody it for ourselves, that we might overcome this strange world and that knowing that it has been overcome, that we too, that though we may go into death like Jesus, will be raised unto life, and that life is coming forth even in death. And so as death surrounds us, as some of you have lost loved ones, as some of you are scared because you've got symptoms, the reality is that Easter proclaims the good news that no matter what happens, neither height nor depth nor anything in creation, not even COVID-19 can separate you from the love of God displayed in the crucified and resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ. In the midst of the death, the destruction and the chaos of this world, Victory has been won, even though we may not feel it. Karl Barth is a theologian who wrote this in the midst of World War II, as uh, he knew full well, not only of the death that was happening on the battlefield, but of the genocide being committed against the Jewish people. He wrote this, the war is at an end, even though here and there troops are still shooting because they have not heard anything yet about the defeat. Even though the troops continue to shoot, the game is won. The game is won, even though the player can still play a few further moves. Actually, that player has already been mated. The clock has run down, even though the pendulum swings a few times this way and that. 
It is in this interim space that we are now living. The old is past. Behold, and the new has come. The Easter message tells us that our true enemies of sin, the curse, and death are beaten. Ultimately, they can no longer start mischief. They still behave as though the game was not decided, the battle not fought. We still must reckon with them, but fundamentally, we must cease to fear them anymore. If you have heard the Easter message, you can no longer run around with a tragic face and lead a humorless existence of a man who has no hope. One thing still holds. If Easter is true, one thing still remains and is truly serious, that Jesus has overcome and he is the victor. And so Christians, lean in because you have found that Easter is true. For my friends, that you are weighing through it, may you lean in. I pray that you might experience this. If you have questions still, do not let this go by because if this is true, it changes reality. It's a historical event that has shaken the world. And this ruler of the world has done everything to keep you from finding this is true. And yet you are here, and it is the way that God is meeting you, that even in death, he has called out to you to find this life. And so for each and every one of you, my encouragement this week is just to celebrate, even in the midst of all that's going on in this world, this world is not all that there is. And there's a new world springing forth through a peace that is available through the person of Jesus, that he is the one who has overcome this world, and that this world, these are the the, the, the final bullets fired, the final me- moves before the checkmate is finally dealt in the victory of our Lord. Lean into this truth. Either is something you already hold, may you hold it deeper and closer. And if you've been investigating, my, my deep prayer is that you might lean in. But as a, a benediction, that is a, a sending a good word for your week in light of resurrection. May each and every one of us take heart. May we love all people liberally and show kindness to all. May we forgive freely and to think the best of people. May you loosen your control and worry and give more away to take yourself less seriously, to spend more time with people with with social distancing and with investing in people and less time on these silly projects. Would you bless the people who hate and curse you? Would you grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice? May you love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly. May you read another story with your kids to spend more time laying on the floor playing with them and listening to them. May you play with your silly dog and snuggle with your pretentious cat. May you eat some chocolate and drink some wine and throw a party, even if it's over Zoom. May you plant a garden, sing your guts out, laugh yourself to tears, eat some chocolate, drink some wine, celebrate your life liberally and freely. Let us eat and drink and be merry, for yesterday we were dead and today we are alive. Because Christ is risen from the dead, having trampled death by death and upon those in the tombs bestowing life, our future is bright and glorious and the best is yet to come. Amen.